Welcome back, guys, to My Ride or Die. Hello. This is Chantel. This is Chantel. That is Chantel. <laughs> and this is Diana. <laughs> is what I meant to say. It's your favorite weirdos. It is your favorite weirdos. Your favorite weirdos. Yes, this is episode 32. Woohoo! Who, who is right? So great. I'm so happy to have you back recording oh my god dude me too yes so glad i'm starting to feel sync with it again yeah. oh it's so great it's such a big part of our lives huge and then to just be away from it and disconnected from it it's it was awful it was awful yeah i hated every minute of it feeling so disconnected from it and you in this sense right yeah. well yeah because we were seeing each other i mean we were still seeing each other obviously when you weren't recording but you were here all the time yeah recording yeah and then you just weren't I know. It's so, so sad. We both did it. <laughs> I wonder if the mics will pick up that we both said it at the same time. I I hope so. Because that was perfect. Both of us, same way. It was so sad. So sad. I think it will. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what do you want to talk about? How about we discuss a movie, Christine, that we watched? Yes. Based on Christine Chubbuck, who was the talking point of my story mm -hmm. from last week. She was the journalist who committed suicide on live air yes so diana and i watched the movie and it was great i did start to get sleepy near the end of it so yeah. i was like coming in and out i saw yeah <laughs> and i remember hearing the gun go off but then when i woke up and looked at the tv screen she was already laying on the ground yeah i've already seen that scene though i looked up the trailer and then i found that particular scene mm -hmm. so yeah i heard the gun go off and it was like i'm awake <laughs> but i was so not awake yeah you do that a lot Chantel i know i know sleeps a lot in movies mm -hmm. and i always ask are you tired are you gonna stay awake she's like yeah and then halfway through i have so many photos of you just like <laughs> like in front of the tv <laughs> yep and then she'll wake up and be like what and i'm like nothing <laughs> nothing at all you weren't sleeping or anything <laughs> nothing not at all you're totally paying attention yeah chantal does it all the time and it's just funny that she tries to convince me and herself <laughs> that she's gonna stay awake but there are the rare occasions where she does and yep. we watch two movies and i'm like damn i know right and then on the really rare occasion you fall asleep when we're watching it's the movie very rare very rare i'm usually really exhausted but i let you know yeah i always say i'm really tired i might fall asleep and then you I usually know. and do. i usually yeah do. you pass out so at least I can admit it. Yeah. <laughs> I will forever be in denial. Yep. And that is okay. <laughs> yeah, it was a really good movie. Mm -hmm. uh, really well done. It was quite sad to watch this movie and know that it, it was real. This actually yeah. really happened. It's quite sad, but really good movie nonetheless. And I'm glad we did watch it after. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. Another thing. Mm -hmm. Diana. Yeah. Is. Yeah. Almost. 45. 45. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to talk about your birthday coming up. And we're going to. Yes. Butter. We are. So I originally wasn't sure if I wanted to have a party. And I, although I love partying. And then I was like, I'm doing it. Fuck it. Let's do it. So it's going to be a theme party, which I love themed parties. So it's going to be supernatural themed. And when I say supernatural, not the generic, like just supernatural. There's a show called Supernatural that we've talked about before that Chantal uh, will not watch so anyways it's supernatural themed and i have three outfits picked or three characters i'm potentially going to be but i have my number one but if i can't get it to all come together then the other two are going to be easy yeah i told josh what it was and he fucking died when he realized what it was i don't think anyone else will pick it so that'll be fun but we're also gonna have neon paints there because why the fuck not yeah i'm just gonna dress in all neon because i don't watch that fucking garbage whatever you're going to dress as something. You're dressing as something. I'll pick a character and say, here. Can I just I'll pick dress like neon? One. Can I just come like neon? You can put neon stuff when you're here, but neon doesn't work in a supernatural world. How about this? I'll see if I can find a really comfortable something, and then you can just throw neon on it. I'll just be a rock. I'll be a fucking rock. So I'll just come in all black, okay. which is what I already wear, or Fine. gray. Then and I'm then gonna... I'll put neon paint on. Fine. And so I'm going to create a sign that you have to wear all night saying, I'm a rock. <laughs> I will do that. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited about it. I know your sister's excited about it because she's also a huge fan and she's told me what she wants to do. We're going to have the neon paints as well. And I want to get the symbol that the boys have on their chest on me in neon paint. Nice. So that'll look really fucking cool. So fucking cool. It's going to be loads of fun again. So fun. Yep. I can't yeah. wait. I just love those parties. I love the music. I love the dancing. Are you going to wear your unicorn ones again? Well, no, because it's a 
themed oh, party. Oh, right, 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 right. Duh. Yeah. Right. I wasn't thinking about that. So I will be in character. Yeah. I'm just not going to tell you what it is because I think it's going to be hilarious when everyone sees it. I won't understand the correlation, but, but show I me something and then I'll be like, oh, okay. When I start getting ready, I will show you the clip so you know what it is. Mm-hmm. You're not going to melt or burst into flames watching a clip of the show. I know. I've okay. already watched enough episodes. I know. <laughs> So I'll, I'll show you just that clip. Or it's my birthday. Maybe just watch the whole episode. Sure. Okay. It's actually a really fun episode. I'm fine. No, I believe you. They have like demons in that show, right? Oh, yeah. Demons and angels and all that. You want to be a fucking rock? Why don't you <laughs> just be a demon? <laughs> <laughs> the look on your face? You want to be a fucking rock? <laughs> I totally forgot that there's demons and stuff. And I was like, oh. so be a fucking demon. And with my special effects makeup. There you go. So I will take. Oh, I'm so excited I'll now. I'll take screenshots of the demons that I like. And then just. I'll surprise you. Yeah. Is this something I'm going to need liquid latex for? I don't think so. Okay. If you wanted to. Which I don't mind. I can use liquid latex. I know how, but. Yeah. I mean, if you want it to be Lucifer, then you might want latex, but don't order it just yet. We have time. Well, yeah. Just show me what you're. Yeah. Show me. And then I'll know if I need it or not. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. We'll do that. So it'll be fun. So no rock then, eh? No rock. Fuck. I'll be a, a fucking rock. demon. Yeah, exactly. Literally, that's all I could think of because I don't rock. watch Supernatural. So I'm like, what the fuck am I going to be? I can't relate to anything. And then I was like, wait a minute. Well, one episode. There's demons in it. One episode, Dean is a total, they go back in time and he's a fucking cowboy. <laughs> nice. You could be a cowboy or a cowgirl. Lord uh, knows I have enough of the shit. That's my point. You could technically be. Sam and Dean have so many different characters in yeah. the show. One episode, it was Scooby-Doo. Oh, I love that. They went through a TV and the rest of the episode was cartoon. <laughs> and they were working with the Scooby-Doo gang. It's just so awesome. So awesome. I can't wait to have the party. Me too. And report to you guys. About Hell yeah. How it went. Yep. And all the shenanigans we got into and stuff. Can't wait. There's going to be shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Lots of shenanigans. Yep. I can't wait for the shenanigans. Yep. And I can't wait to dance with you and everything. And yeah. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be fun. Be so fun. Yep. I'm gonna be 45. I don't give a fuck. All right. Just do what I want. Yep. Fuck yeah. I've earned it. Fuck yeah. Yeah, I have. We love to party. We love we love to party. Yep. We do. We do. Yep. It's fun with you. It's so fun to party with you, too. Yeah. And it's so nice to finally have someone that I can party with because for the longest time from past traumatic situations, I hated house parties yeah fucking hated them they gave me the worst anxiety from a few really bad situations now it's so nice to be able to enjoy them yeah i'm happy that i was able to give you an experience yeah. that pulled you from that thank you you're welcome yeah and we just keep having them and we they're do. so great <laughs> right yeah, yeah like once i started having house parties or like going not having them but going to them yeah um after the traumatic situations i'd been in in the past mm-hmm. um i had to like talk to myself before going and be like it's gonna be okay wow you're gonna be okay everything's gonna be okay yeah what happened before that's that's not gonna happen every single time and now i'm just like bring on the house yeah you don't even think about it it's just like you know do it let's party let's party yeah we have so much fun Mm -hmm. yeah it's nice to have someone else that likes to party like me Mm -hmm. yeah and that's it too. Yeah. That's it too, is like figuring out how you like to party. Mm-hmm. Because I was always in situations that I had no say in. Okay. You know, like, yes, I had the say in being in there. But when I was there, I had no say in how things were. Yeah. And it was like, you almost just have to adapt. But when it's really trashy and abusive and violent and horrible, it's mm-hmm. no fun. And it's tr- like traumatic things happen. Oh, well, of course. So I didn't know what I enjoyed from partying. I didn't know what was my takeaway. I was just always surrounded by what other people enjoyed. Yeah, because it was you, scary for me. Yeah, you didn't have your own experience no. technically. I was experiencing what everybody else liked, basically. And I'm mm-hmm. like, this is fucking awful. Yeah. So, yeah, now I know how I like to party, mm-hmm. what I, I like with parties and stuff, what I don't like. And yes, you and I enjoy yeah. basically all of the same things. Totally. And so we fucking have so much fun, we man. Do. It's great. We have so much fun when we party, even if we go out like to concerts and yeah. stuff. Oh my God. It's like, so much fun. Yeah. So when Chantal turns 45, I'm going to be 60. And guess what? Yep. I'm still going to be fucking partying. Like, this. fuck yeah, you are. <laughs> because you know oh. what? Who the fuck said you have to stop at a certain age? Yep. Fuck exactly. you, whoever did it. One life. One life. And it just it breaks my heart that people feel that way. 
or they get to a certain age. Well, I guess I, st- I have to start acting my age. No. What the fuck does that mean? Mm-hmm. I'm responsible. I have a home. Yeah. I pay my bills. I work. Yeah. I'm not doing anything bad, no, but I exactly. like to party too. So I am acting my age. I take my responsibilities seriously. Yeah, but you like to play hard. But I like to play hard too. Fuck yeah. I work hard. I play hard. Right. Absolutely. So, I say the same thing. Yeah. Like I work yeah. hard and I fucking play hard too. Yeah. So at 60, I'm going to be there in my neon paints, probably a onesie. Good. Because they're so comfortable. <laughs> and I don't give a shit. Yep. At all. And if anyone has a problem with it, I'll kick them in the nuts. Like we talked about before. Yep. Yep. And if you don't have nuts, I'm still going to kick you in the same general area. I'm going to be that person for the rest of my life, yep. I think, until I actually can't physically do it. <laughs> that will be hard. <laughs> yeah. But until I get to that point where I physically can't, that's the only way I would stop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going to, yeah. Chantal always jokes and says that I'm going to be, you know, having raves at the old folks home, but I'm not going to be in an old folks home. We're living together. Remember when we get old? Yeah, that's true. We're, yeah. Yeah, we're going to live together. Yeah. Yeah. But if I did live yeah. in an old folks home, I would probably be getting kicked out all the time. <laughs> From every single every one. Every single one. Because I would be raving and stuff. Who knows? Maybe, maybe there's residents that need that in their lives, too. Probably. And they don't even know it. And they don't know it. So I might. Yeah, we'll see. We'll yep. see. We'll see. We'll see. Yep. Yep. All right. So this is to everybody who lives in the Okanagan. We need to rally together. And start a petition to get flashing lights at the fucking crosswalks on Lakeshore. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Yeah. I'm trying to think of, was it Raymer? Raymer is a side street over there. So anybody who's from Cologne and West Bank and knows the area, you guys know what I'm talking about. The stretch of Lakeshore where there's Great Canadian Brew House. Mm -hmm. There's a subway, right? There's that. It's before that. If you're going south, it's before before that. Yeah, Yeah. it's right before that. By the way, I'm surprised you remembered the name Raymer. I know. Chantel is horrible with stream names. I'm shocked. Horrible. <laughs> I lived in Kelowna my whole goddamn life, and I'm horrible with yeah. streets. Anyway, right? go on. Look at me listing <laughs> road names. You. I know, right? The other day I said to Diana, I think I was like, go down Spall and turn here, here. And then I was like, listen to me go with road names. And she's really like, right now. Yeah, this is the second one now. I know, we'll right? See. Anyway, so we need to petition together, guys, and get flashing lights at the crosswalks. Yeah in that stretch because it's so fucking dark the only amount of light in that stretch is literally like twinkle lights on the businesses yeah that's and it. that doesn't cut it no there are like no street lights but there's a bajillion crosswalks yeah and, and no, no it's terrifying crosswalk lights yeah. no crosswalk lights it's terrifying i told diana we were talking about it was it yes yes yesterday, was it yesterday? Yeah. yeah we were talking about it, i was like dude i'm so fucking scared of hitting somebody yeah through that stretch of lakeshore to the point where now i'm avoiding it i'm going down Richter, mm-hmm. look at me go. I know. Look at me fucking go. I don't know how to feel about this. <laughs> right? I know. So, yeah, it's just, it's it's ridiculous. It's incredibly unsafe. City Council, Kelowna City Council, we need to do something about this because yeah. enough is enough. This and has been this way for literally my entire fucking life. And people don't this necessarily stop and wait. No, exactly. Because exactly. they just like, I'm the pedestrian. I'm just going to start crossing and vehicles will stop. Yeah, exactly. Or they're not paying attention or whatever. Well, and that's the problem. So, yeah, I usually when I'm going through that stretch, I do the speed limit and sometimes less. Yeah, less. Because I've had people just walk out in front of my vehicle. Oh, yeah. And not at a crosswalk. It would be great if we could see the crosswalks and people trying to cross. Yeah, it would be great (laughs) if we can yeah, fucking see who wants to cross the road. Yeah. Like, it's so dangerous. And there's so many people who walk at night in black. Yep. And when we finally get back on track, too, with making our Instagram posts for our episodes, I'm tagging City of Kelowna in this episode. Good. And I am going to figure out how to start a petition to get this done. Oh, there's so many ways you can do it online. Because this is ridiculous. Yeah. What's right? It's quite easy. easy. Yeah. I want to start a petition for this. I want to see this happen. I agree with you a thousand percent. And I know that there's going to be a lot of pedestrians that would be good with that. (laughs) There's so many pedestrians in Kelowna. Yeah. It'd be nice not to be afraid that you're going to potentially get hit by a vehicle because they're not paying attention or they can't see you exactly yeah and we're coming into busy tourist season busy walking season yep let's get those flashing lights ready yeah so we'll start that we'll start the petition start the petition okay we'll both sign it first and then fuck yeah okay share it on social media and stuff all that yep okay is that it for your talking points the last talking point is how diane and i know each other like literally inside out yeah 
it's kind of scary. Yeah. When it comes to food or flavor, mm-hmm. I know when Chantal's going to really not like something. And that conversation came up before we started recording because it's something I have on my desk. And I was like, you're not going to like it. And she's like, I've learned my lesson. I am not going to try it. Because every time I've said that to yep. her, she has hated it. Yep. And anytime I've said you're going to love this, she's like, yeah, that. I love it. Every I time. know yep. what you hate and what you like. Yeah. It's just funny. We read each other's minds all the time. Yeah. We spit out shit at the same time all the time. All the time. It's strange. It is strange. When we were at Tech Nine, there was a song that came on and there was such a ridiculously specific mental image that came to both of us, but I wasn't saying anything. I was standing there smoking and then Diana and like the songs, we're listening to it and it's a really good fucking song. Yeah. And then again, I have the same totally weird ass mental image that Diana did. (laughs) Nobody in a million years would have guessed what it was. And she looks over to me and she starts talking about how that song that was playing is correlated with this memory because that memory has the song in it. Yeah. And I looked at her and I'm like, get the fuck out of my head. We say that a lot to each other. Yeah, we do. Yeah, get the fuck out of my head all the time. And she was like, looking at me like, no way. And I'm like, dude, I was thinking of the exact (laughs) same fucking thing. And we've never talked about it before. No. We've never talked about that before, ever. We do it all the time. All the time. Yeah, and like Diana said, when she tells me, you're not going to like this, I never do. And you've always been right. Every single, yeah, every Mm -hmm. single time I've said, you're not going to like it, you try it. And then the looks on her face. After yeah. she's trying, I was like, I told you. Yeah. And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> yep. It's amazing yep. and wonderful that we have that connection. Yep. And we read each other's minds all the time. We read each other's minds and physical, like body yeah. language. Yeah. We could look at each other across the room. And know. And know. We would know what's up. Yep. Yep. And that's also one of the reasons, too, why, like, going back to partying. Yeah. I feel very safe with you at parties, too. Mm-hmm. At your house or anywhere. Or even if we go to the club or something. I always feel very safe going out with you because mm-hmm. I know I've you've got my back. I've got your back. Totally. And we can read each other like that fast. Yeah. And know what the fuck's up. Yeah. And we have every oh, single yeah. time. Yeah. We yep. have. Partying with someone where you don't know if you're going to be safe. That's an awful feeling. It is an awful feeling. It it's really is. so important to feel safe. So vitally important. Yep. It is nice to finally have a person that completely understands you. Fuck yeah. I got you, bitch. I got you, bitch. I got and, you, bitch. And Fuck yeah. when we party, we both watch each other. Yep. It's a good feeling because, again, I never really had that before. I got to go pee. Go pee. Okay, we're back from my pee break. Chantal's stuffing my face. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, how do I say it? That's the only way to put it. I'm stuffing my face with Diana's spaghetti and it's so good. Oh, it's so good. Yes, I made lunch earlier and I always make extra because I know either someone else is going to eat it or I can have it as a snack later. Yep. All right. So Chantal went first last week. I'm going to go first this week. It's a pretty intense story. I'm pretty sure Chantal knows about it as it's local. Oh, but we shall see. So my sources are theguardian.com, cbc.ca, and a 45-minute documentary called The Murder of Ashley Wadsworth. I actually don't know if I know about this story. Oh, shit. Fuckle the buck up, man. Fuckle the buck up. So my triggers are murder, domestic violence, and I didn't know how to put this, but grooming of a child? That was perfectly put. Okay. Yep. I'm grooming. Yep. Yeah. My story is about the senseless and horrific murder of a Vernon, B.C. resident named Ashley Wadsworth. She was 12, just 12 years old when she met Jack, who was 15 at the time. They met on Facebook. Okay. She was in Vernon, B.C., and he lived in the U.K. Oh, whoa. Okay. Yeah. So they started their long-distance relationship, but it was known that he was having other relationships during this time. She was only 12. Yeah. Jack would buy her stuff and have it shipped to her house and just made her feel super special. Yeah. Their relationship got serious when she turned 16 and he was 19, 20. Wow. She was completely and helplessly in love with this guy. 
During an interview, her mother, Christy, said that Ashley had asked her if she could go visit him in the UK, but she said, no way. You are too young, but when you are an adult, I can't stop you. Her father never saw him or met him, but her mother did. So when she was FaceTiming him, she'd be like, hey, Jack. Mm. Her father knew about this guy she was talking to, but didn't know him. Yeah. Neither of them were okay with her just going across the world. No. Even though they were FaceTiming every fucking day. Mm Mm-hmm. No. You don't know him. No. So her mother said in her impact statement that she wasn't happy about Ashley traveling to meet him. Yeah. But she was an adult and there was absolutely nothing she could do to so stop her. So eventually she did as an adult. Yes. Shit. Well, that's the thing. That's why her parents were like, well, while well, we can yeah. control that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I wasn't prepared for it to be the like she actually ended up going when she was an adult. Oh, yeah. Wow. So she saved up money. And as soon as she turned 18, she's like, guess what? peeps bye i'm going Mm -hmm. and there was nothing they could do i mean aside from tying her down in Mm -hmm. the basement i suppose but yeah we don't do that because that's bad (laughs) yeah that's bad so ashley's passion and love for jack would ultimately cost her her life she tried to better him and introduced him to religion while she was there oh no and i put in brackets and i was like i'm not i don't know if i'm gonna like throw this in there but the capitals and brackets maybe that's why he lost his shit (laughs) Sorry, but I I'm, I know it's not that. Yeah, <laughs> it's just comedic relief. But it was funny. Yeah. yeah. So Ashley was described by her family and friends as a very happy and loving person. That she was kind and just a beautiful soul. They say that she found faith in the Mormon Church mm-hmm. and had been accepted at Thompson River University in Kamloops, BC. Ashley was also Métis. Oh yeah, really. And, quote, well-known to our people within the Vernon community, end quote, said Daniel Fontaine, CEO of the Métis Nation, British Columbia. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Métis Nations of BC. Yeah. Yeah. I almost didn't put it in because it was just a minor thing. And I was like, I'm fucking throwing it in there. My bitch is Métis. Thank you. You know? <laughs> right? It's important. Yes, it is. <laughs> so as soon as she turned 19, she went to visit him. Her mother and father were not happy, but she basically said to them, I'm going. Yeah. You either are with me or against me, but Mm -hmm. I'm going. So, of course, her parents loved her and they were like, fine, we're not winning this battle. Yeah. We support you. We hope you have a good time. Yeah. And just be safe. If there's anything we can do, just be fucking safe. Yeah. So Christy, her mom, would say hi to Jack, as I mentioned, when they were on FaceTime. So she knew him. She got to know him. She was around when her 12-year-old was talking to this guy. It was all monitored. Yeah. And when her daughter decided to go, she saw Jack again on FaceTime and said, please watch my baby. I'm trusting you with her. And he responded with, quote, I will guard her with my life. I will keep her safe. I promise. End quote. Ashley traveled to the UK in November of 2021. That's wow. why I said this is recent. When I yeah. said to you earlier, yeah. I was like, this is recent. I don't know if I've heard of this before. Then. Crazy. Yeah, I don't know if I have. I remember following it. Really? So she traveled to the UK in November of 2021 on a six-month tourist visa while she was taking a gap year. Her father, Ken, was the one that drove her to the airport, and that was the last time he saw her. Jesus. From the pictures that she posted on her Facebook, they were happy and in love. Yeah. Ashley told her parents that her first meeting with him, because, again, they've known each other for so long, but they had been chatting for seven years. I know that's so long. Mm-hmm. You think you know someone. Yeah. So this was their actual first in-person meeting. Yeah. Screen gone. Yeah. In-person. Yeah. So she said <clears throat> that it was perfect the first time they met. He was very kind and a caring person. She absolutely loved the UK. And it was her dream come true this trip she wanted to travel she did not want to stay in vernon her first visit with him was amazing shortly after christmas 30 days before her murder ashley called her sister Haley and told her that jack was being rushed to the hospital after overdosing some say that he did this so that ashley would become more attached to him it was all about control he got out of the hospital shortly after new year's and that's when things started getting real bad Haley said that when she was on FaceTime with her sister, she would warn her to be quiet so Jack wouldn't get pissed off. Yikes. On January 8th of 2022, Ashley posted on Facebook, quote, my amazing trip 
to London with Jack and his parents for his birthday. So thankful for them, end quote. And along with that post were just a bunch of photos of them at famous landmarks. Yeah. They look like they're having an amazing time. January 11th of 2022, 20 days before her murder, Ashley called her sister, Haley, over FaceTime, where Haley saw Jack hit her sister over the head with a glass cup and was just throwing random objects at her. What the fuck? Ashley didn't want her parents to know. And... Didn't want them getting worried. Yeah. She was a very private person, apparently. This is when Haley broke the silence and told their mother. Just prior to this, the family said that they started hearing a lot less from her. Yeah. Her mother would text her. At this point, she knew something wasn't right. Yeah. But she didn't want to push her daughter away any further. Yeah, totally. So she was treading very carefully. Yeah, it's a, such a delicate balancing yep. act. She would send her messages and, quote, remember, I am only a phone call away yeah if things aren't good you are always welcome back home yeah end quote her dad said anytime he spoke with her the calls got shorter and the smiles became less and less yeah so they all they all knew something was was wrong not not okay quite okay hello isolation the hearing from her less and less yeah so ashley was feeling very disconnected from her friends and her whole life back in canada her sister begged her for two straight weeks before her murder to come home. Yeah. Ashley said she didn't know if she wanted to leave. Her sister asked her, why would you stay if things are that bad? And Ashley just said she wanted to stay and work things out. I've been in a very abusive domestic relationship and I completely understand that. I know a lot of people are going to be like, that's dumb. No, I understand that. Yeah so much and it breaks my heart and I'm mad I went through it (laughs) yeah and dealt with it and to hear about it happening just I mean like brings me back to it but at the same time it's like fuck why don't we know it's okay to just it's okay to walk away walk away yeah it's It's okay yeah I wish I had I mean I knew but I yeah didn't know how to do it yeah which is not okay Jack was hitting Ashley regularly and would leave her covered in bruises He didn't work. He didn't have a job. So once the honeymoon stage was over, they never left his house. Not even for a walk. Wow. He started gaining more control of her and got all her passwords to all her social media and would track everything because he wanted to track all her messages. What the fuck? Yeah. At one point, Ashley left her friend a voicemail and you could hear Jack in the background losing his fucking shit. And I'm going to play you a clip. Apparently, he's talking about her friend Tiana. It's not easy to understand what he is saying. Yeah. But here's the clip. Sounds like a stable person to me. Very stable. Wow. Yeah. That is scary. <laughs> That's one way to describe That's that nightmare. She sent another message to that same friend, Tiana, that read, quote, be careful what you say. He is watching, end quote. Once Tiana read the message, Ashley deleted the message so Jack wouldn't see it. Yeah. But like she waited for. Yeah, her to see it. Yeah. At 8.30 a.m. on February 1st of 2022, the day of her murder, Ashley ran to her neighbor's house, and her name was Helen, and she had no shoes on. She had a cut on her hand, and her phone was completely smashed to pieces. Ashley told her that Jack had been beating her up, and that he threw their kitten against the wall. No, my God. Throwing a fucking defenseless kitten against the wall? You suck a shit. It's a baby. Go fuck yourself. Her neighbor, Helen, at that point said, we need to call the police. But Ashley begged her not to and said no. She called her sister from Helen's phone because her phone was completely fucking smashed and told her that he smashed her phone and beat her up. That's when her sister begged her to come home again. Yep. Ashley knew it was time to leave. Her mother said, this is enough. You are coming home. Yeah. And Ashley agreed. 
Yeah. They were all on the same page. Her grandmother, as this was happening, went and booked her a fucking flight right away to come home. Unfortunately, she wouldn't be able to leave the UK for two more days because she had to get a COVID test. Ashley calmed down after she talked to her sister. Jack had told her that he wanted to talk to her and work things out. And according to Helen, Ashley agreed and went back in with him. Her mom said that after they had booked her flight, at some point they had talked to Jack and Jack told her that he would be taking Ashley to get a COVID test. At 1.10 p.m. UK time, Helen heard a female scream. She went over to the house, knocked on the door, no answer. After a few attempts, she went into the, like, the mail slot in the door and yelled. And Jack yelled back, we're in bed. She said she should have called the police, but Ashley had begged her not to earlier that day, so she didn't because she wanted to respect her wishes. 3.30 a.m. Canadian time, so 11.30 UK time, Haley got a call from Jack's phone but missed it, so she tried calling back. She called about 19 times. She messaged, we don't even know how many times, no answer. She knew, obviously, something was not okay. At the same time, her friend Tiana got a message from Ashley that said, Hey, it's Ashley. Please reply now. I need your help. Please go on my Facebook friends list and find Sister Ashworth. Give her this number and tell her to contact me. I need help. She was from the church. The Mormon Church in the UK. So at some point she had met the sisters out there. These messages were followed by messages saying everything was sorted out. These were from him because she had been murdered by that point. So her mom and grandmother were trying to get a hold of her as well. So Tiana was doing her thing and her sister, her mom and grandmother were trying to get a hold of her. So they actually went on her Facebook as well to find people potentially in the area that could go check on her. They spoke with a girl named Jamie at the church, and she said that she would go to her home and make sure everything was okay. They were there around 3.59 p.m. No one answered. They did hear some muffled noises coming from inside the home and called the police immediately at 4.01 p.m. UK time. I actually have audio of the 999 call, which is the equivalent of 911 and with the police at his door. So I'm going to play another clip. Hi, we, one of our friends um, has been texting us that she's been in a domestic, that like they've had some abuse in her home. Um, okay, is this happening now, yeah? Yeah. What's your friend's name? Ashley Wadsworth. Her age. When the police arrived at his house, they were banging on his door and at one point they banged on his windows and were telling him to open the door and threatened with the fact that they were going to kick the door in if he did not answer. Yep. So 
they had to force entry at 4.13 p.m. as he did not answer the door. They found him sitting in bed beside Ashley's dead body while he was FaceTiming with his sister, showing her her dead body. Detective, yeah, Detective Superintendent Essex Police, Scott Egerton, said that there was blood everywhere. It was a gruesome scene. He also said that after Jack murdered Ashley, he went onto his Facebook and updated his profile picture to one of him and Ashley together and caption forever mine with a little blue heart beside it. When the authorities asked Jack what happened, he said, quote, I went psychotic. I'm sorry. I've strangled her and I stabbed her, end quote. He stabbed her to death after he found out that she had decided to move back to Canada. Yeah. An autopsy showed that she was stabbed at least 90 times in the chest area. Whoa. That's fucking rage. That is, yeah, that's blackout. 90 times. That's I mean, blackout rage. Wow. Helen, the neighbor, saw the police arrive at the house so she ran over. She went in. It was a chaotic scene and she just yeah. ran in. And she saw Jack in bed with Ashley with her body beside him. And the police, of <clears throat> course, were like, get out. Get out. Yeah. But again, it was just happening yeah, so just, fast. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So she went outside and basically stood on the lawn in shock. And I'm sure guilt. Oh, I'm, I can't even imagine that I, poor thing. I understand she was trying to respect her boundaries and all yeah. that kind of stuff. But she has to live with this for the rest of her life. And I am yep. so sad for her. Me too. It's horrible. So while she was standing outside, the paramedics brought Ashley's body out and placed her on the lawn. And they were trying to resuscitate her. Helen screamed, quote, oh, my God, he's fucking stabbed her. He's fucking killed her, end quote. She said, I must have screamed so loud because half of the neighborhood came out. The paramedics did what they could to resuscitate her, but were not successful. One of the paramedics was heard saying, before we go any further, she's got multiple significant stab wounds. Rigor mortis has set in. I think this is beyond any help. I don't think we should go any further, and that's why I'm declaring that she's unfortunately deceased. And then he asked everyone there if they agreed, and they all did. Rigor mortis set in, man. She's gone. She's gone. She had been dead for hours before they reached her. So that's when Helen called her sister Haley and said, oh my God, he stabbed her. He has stabbed her to death. At the exact same moment, her mother received a call from the authorities confirming that Ashley had passed away. They confirmed also that they had Jack in custody for her murder. They found videos on Ashley's phone. It looks like she's in the washroom. And she is just recording all the bruises all over her body. Jack had filmed himself on his phone at about 12.45 p.m. that day, so after her murder. While he was covered in her blood, and you could see her dead body in the background. He was apologizing, apparently, in this video. During a trial preparation hearing, Jack admitted to killing Ashley and showed no emotion. Simon Spencer, the prosecutor, said that Jack had murdered Ashley after being, quote, angered by her decision to return prematurely to her home country of Canada, end quote. He then said, quote, He strangled and repeatedly stabbed Ashley and left her in the bed that they shared while he went about his daily business, end quote. He went to go play video games in his house because they found her blood on the remotes. Christy, her mom, Mm -hmm. said, quote, justice today can prevent him from harming another woman or putting another family through this, end quote. In October of 2022, he was sentenced. Essex police said in a statement that Jack Semple, 23 at the time, of Clems Ford, UK, was charged with murder. He will spend a minimum of 23.5 years in prison for the death of Ashley Wadsworth. There is a documentary that came out last week in the UK. Really? Yep. And the documentary aired only in the UK. Yeah. Her mom was one of the first people to watch it. She said, quote, it was really hard to watch. There was some stuff in it that I hadn't seen yet until 
Yeah. Until then, that the police hadn't released. Them working on Ashley in the yard. The police arresting him and his interview. Just hearing from her less and hearing from her sister that maybe things weren't as good and bringing it up to her and her shooting it down and saying, no, we're fine, end quote. And she didn't want to get into a lot more detail, which I understand. And at some point in this, or her mother said anyway, at that age, and I get it, I've been there. I thought I was an adult at 17. You're not. You don't know jack shit at 17. You're not an adult at 45. (laughs) I can say this because I'm going to be 45 in a month. So fuck anyone that's offended by that. I'm just saying. All right. Ashley's cousin, Melissa Locke, said that she was so smart and witty. Ashley was planning on being a lawyer. She had visited so many places and she actually spoke three different languages. Wow. And she wanted to broaden her horizons. And that's why she didn't want to stay in Vernon. And and she was inspired to travel the world. This tragedy was a freak thing. We don't want it to stop other people, obviously, from following their dreams. And this is her family. Sorry, I kind of ended that quote, but I shouldn't have. This is her family saying this, okay? Her cousin. We don't want it to stop other people from following their dreams. We are a loving family who supported Ashley in following her dreams. She was on what should have been the trip of a lifetime, end quote. That's it. The only other thing I have to say, and I'm going to say it again at the end, domestic violence, guys, there is help. I know it's hard, but there is a lot of support, and I will post those links on our show notes. We all need help. Yep. Sometimes. Yep. That is my sad story. That was really fucking sad. Sorry to Ashley and her family. Yes. That they've had to endure this. Thank you for covering that story. You did a amazing job writing it thank you beautifully written thank you honey yeah of course that was very sad yeah very sad that poor thing yep oh man okay now i will share mine so much like diana's my story is also very intense and i can't stress that enough for everyone sources famousphotographers.net wikipedia History.com, MDPI.com, and Prabook.com. I named my story Devil's Advocate. Trigger warning, suicide, and describing extremely disturbing content, racism, colonialism, and starvation. Listener's discretion is strongly advised. This is going to be another one of my unorthodox stories, guys. This is a fascinating topic that is simultaneously brilliant and extremely controversial. Some of you may not know who I'm discussing. Some of you will. Any listeners from South Africa will definitely know who this is. For tonight's episode, I have written about the photojournalist Kevin Carter. Kevin was born on September 13, 1960 in Johannesburg, South Africa. Kevin was unfortunately raised during an era of intense racism and it did not sit well with him. If anything, he wanted to expose what was happening in his country to ignite policy and change. He lived in an all-white neighborhood, and his surprisingly broad-minded Catholic family's passive attitude towards the police brutality and racism really bothered Kevin. He witnessed brutality, racial profiling, and arrest constantly, and he was going to do something about it any chance he received. After graduation, he studied to become a pharmacist and also joined the Air Force. Four years post-graduation, Kevin defended a mess hall waiter from being abused and, as a result, Kevin was beat up. I couldn't find any information as to whether or not the waiter was black, but based on the situation and the deeply embedded racism, I'm willing to bet he was. Yeah. Sometime after this, Kevin worked briefly as a radio jockey, and then in 1983, he witnessed the Church Street bombing in Pretoria, South Africa. And that's when he decided to pursue a career in photojournalism. Kevin started as a sports photographer, and one year later, he began working for Johannesburg Star as a journalist photographer. 
he wasted no time exposing the brutal apartheid treatment of black people. For those of you who aren't familiar with the definition of apartheid, it's essentially systematic racism. It dictates employment and housing opportunities based on race, as well as being hinged on racial segregation of social events and public facilities. I have the opportunity to give you all a brief history lesson, so I'm going to. From 1948 until the 1990s, the Africans of South Africa were ruled with an iron fist by a small minority of white people. This awful systemic racism was rooted in their lengthy history of slavery and colonialism. There is definitely still a problem with racial hierarchy in South Africa, with white people always being the common denominator in employment, education, housing, etc. Kevin wanted to depict the unjust and toxic environment that he had to witness and live in while it was inflicted on other people. He wanted to set the tone for every aspect of life through his photographs, to which he did, but it came with a very, very large cost. Kevin, Greg Marinovich, Ken Osterbrook, and I don't know if I'm saying this name right. So the name is jo- Joao, but I don't know if I'm saying it right. It's J-O-A-O. Joao? I have is no there, like, idea. Is there like an accent over it? Uh, yes. In the, in the uh, write-up online, there was... It, I don't know what the accent was. It's the wave. It's That's the, the, the wave one. It, okay. Juan. That's how so you say John. Okay. So it's Juan. Juan. That's how you Juan. say John in Portuguese. Oh, okay. J-O-A-O. And then the little... Yeah, the squiggly on it. Juan. Oh, okay. So his name is Juan Silva. That's a Portuguese name. Oh, maybe he's Portuguese then. Anyway. So just to start over so you guys have, you're not confused. No, it's okay. Just so nobody's confused because it's chopped up now. So Kevin, Greg Marinovich, Ken Osterbrook, and Joao Silva were a group in South Africa affectionately named the Bang Bang Club. Hmm. The name was derived from an article published in South Africa. They started out as Bang Bang Paparazzi. However, they decided to change Paparazzi to club due to concern of their work becoming misinterpreted. The Bang Bang was a direct takeaway from the residents in reference to living in violence, as well as the sounds of gunfire. All the photographers who were a part of this group were drawn to the same type of photography. Hmm. Real, raw, terrifying, gut-wrenching, stop-you-dead-in-your-fucking-tracks type of photos. Hmm. I can testify to this. I've seen a lot of his photos, and some of them, honestly, I wish I could unsee. Okay, now I'm going to dive into Kevin's photography. And guys, I cannot stress enough that you need to buckle the fuck up. Buckle the fuck up, bitches. It is disturbing, intense, and there is heavy racial warfare. Not from Kevin, from what he witnessed and photographed. Okay. There was a horrifying extrajudicial summary execution that would take place in South Africa and other places in the world. This barbaric execution was made illegal in 1987. However, there were two other reported cases until June of 2011. Necklacing was a torture execution that black people would inflict this on people who they believed were collaborating with the apartheid. Typically, it was black police officers who were believed to be informants. On July 20th, 1985, Maki Skosana was the first person to receive this unspeakable execution. Hmm. Maki's murder took place in Duduza, west of Nigel on the East Rand, Guatang. Maki was murdered for perceived involvement in the deaths of three young activists, acting as an informant to police. Their deaths were reportedly planned by the Third Force, which is a a group of covert government operatives tasked with managing township residents. So, all in all, she didn't have anything to do with their their deaths, but Mm. she was perceived as it. So, Mm. necklacing is placing a tire that's been doused in petrol around someone's arms and torso, and lighting them on fire. Kevin witnessed this and photographed it. Maki's sister, Maloko, commented on her sister's death at some point, I don't know when, and stated that Maki was murdered while attending the funeral for one of the youths that had died. Hmm. One of her friends. They were her friends. Mm -hmm. There was also broken glass inside her vagina, and a very large rock had been dropped on her face after she was killed. Now, naturally, Kevin would have been extremely conflicted with his decisions and actions. Of course, who wouldn't? However, to play devil's advocate, he was not allowed to interfere in any way, shape, or form 
or he would have without question been murdered as well. Mm-hmm. And why not share these monstrosities with the world? Why not spread awareness as to what kind of carnage was taking place? There's never a reason to not spread awareness with something that has to be dealt with. And everything at this time in South Africa was so intertwined with each other and the victims were broken and pushed past the brink. Not to mention the rage and ruthless nature that is associated with mob justice, as well as uprisings. The picture was necessary, and I've seen it, and it's fucking horrifying. Quote, I was appalled at what they were doing. I was appalled at what I was doing. But then people started talking about those pictures. Then I felt that maybe my actions hadn't been at all bad. Being a witness to something this horrible wasn't necessarily such a bad thing to do. End quote. And that was quoted from Kevin. I have seen this photo of Maki, and there are no words for it. In March of 1993, Kevin and his colleague, Zhuang, they were presented with the opportunity to travel to Sudan and photograph the devastating famine due to their civil war. This invitation was extended by a member of the UN, to which they figured extra coverage on this crisis would aid in funding for the victims. Kevin and Zhuang accepted the offer, and once in Sudan, they initially split up to find starving victims, and both of them being apolitical, they intended to document and disconnect emotionally. Kevin had stated that they tried to remain objective the entire time they were photographing in any circumstances. However, they were still humans, and from what I've gathered about Kevin over the past few years, because like I've I've heard I heard about the story years ago, and like I reckon I already recognized some of his photography. Mm-hmm. And then when I heard about this entire story, I was like, "Holy fucking shit!" Yeah. So what I've gathered about Kevin over the past few years, he was seems to have been a very caring individual who was deeply affected by the brutality and inhumanity that he needed to document. One of Kevin's most memorable photos is called "The Vulture and the Little Girl." It's quite a famous photo, and I'm sure many people have seen it. It's a heartbreaking scene of a child who has collapsed into a hunched-over ball on the ground, crying due to starvation, and there's a vulture a few feet away. It's gut-wrenching and extremely powerful. This photo was sold to the New York Times on March 26, 1993, and was worldwide in moments. Kevin had chased the vulture away, but his intrusive thoughts were constantly chasing him. He tried to explain what he had just witnessed to Zhuang as they almost immediately after boarded another plane, leaving a yod for Congor. But Kevin struggled to even explain the horrors he witnessed, as well as his own internal struggles. This photo would go on to win Kevin a Pulitzer Prize in April of 1994. That was something that actually really bothered him. One of these unspeakable situations that he witnessed and photographed and was able to walk away from, won him a prize. Yeah. At some other point during his time in Sudan, Kevin shot a picture of a little boy with his whole mouth on the ass of a water buffalo, ready to eat its feces. The child was beyond skin and bones, and the photo is devastating. He was just hungry. Yeah, that's a photo that, like, that is the big, the number one photo of Kevin's I wish I could unsee. I wish I'd never seen it. It shook me to my fucking core when I seen that picture. Remember how I'd said earlier that there are photos I wish I could unsee? Mm-hmm. This is one of them. I apologize, but I haven't looked up much research on this photo or situation as I am terrified to see that photo ever again. I'm sorry if that makes me selfish in any capacity. No, it doesn't, dude. Good. But if you want to know about it so badly, look it up yourself. I hope I never see it. Yeah, I hope you don't either. It will haunt you guys. Just don't even. It haunted me for weeks. Weeks. Just don't don't put yourself through that. I heavily contemplated not speaking about this photo. I almost didn't talk about this. I have also seen the photo of the child with the vulture many times and remember it from my childhood. And I remember the famine in Sudan. It's devastating. It, it's horrible this should not be happening in the world right now there's no need for it when there are multi-billionaires in the world there's no fucking excuse no for starving children or starving anyone like it's disgusting that there's billionaires there's no fucking need for people to be billionaires no these people don't need lavish at all they just need clean water grains yeah that's cheap Mm -hmm. (laughs) grains and stuff Looking at this photo, um, I, I actually have been staring care. at it 
for the last little while. Like, what? I know. And, like, all of his pictures are that. I've seen a lot of his work. And every single one of them, you're just like, how did he not blow his brains out? What the fuck? Seriously, witnessing that? Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Is, does he? Okay, no, fine. No, just wait. Oh, okay. While researching this story, I discovered that, in fact, the child being stalked by the vulture was not a little girl. He was a little boy named Kong Nyong. His father spoke out in 2011 about that picture being his son, and Kong died in 2007 due to fevers. In March of 1994, Kevin was present for the shooting of three members belonging to Afrikaners Weerstandsbewegung. I hope I'm saying that right. During an abortive invasion of Bovithatswana, this shooting took place right before the election in South Africa. Halfway through the incident, Kevin ran out of film, both a blessing and unfortunate. Quote, it was a picture that made nearly every front page in the world, the one real photograph of the whole campaign, end quote, from Eamon McCade from The Guardian. On April 18, 1994, during a firefight between the National Peacekeeping Force and the African National Congress supporters in the Thokaza Township, friendly fire killed Ken, one of the members of the Bang Bang Club, as well as seriously injuring Greg. Tragically, on July 27, 1994, Kevin committed suicide at age 33 by inhaling carbon monoxide. I um, understand that. Me too. I really do. Me too. Like, and he struggled with suicide for so long. Yeah. He could, he like couldn't live with himself for just because of what he had to witness. I understand that. And photograph that. that like he couldn't live with, not he couldn't live with himself. He couldn't live with it anymore. No. What he's seen, he couldn't live with. No. Nothing could ever replace the presence of Kevin, but he has left an imprint on society and journalism. His legacy has been honored several times over. For instance, in 2000, Zhuang, did I say that right? Zhuang. Good job. Like, seriously. Thank you. It's perfect. That's a, anyone that hears you say that, be like, she's Portuguese. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. In 2000, Zhuang and Greg published The Bang Bang Club, Snapshots from a Hidden War, which is a book documenting their work and testimonies. Greg had said that the group did not see themselves as a club in the way others perceived them. Quote, the name gives a mental image of a group of hard-living men who worked, played, and hung out together pretty much all of the time. Let us set the record straight. There never was such a creature. There never was a club. And there never were just the four of us in some kind of silver Halid cult. Dozens of journalists covered the violence during the period from Nelson Mandela's release from jail to the first fully democratic election. We discovered that one of the strongest links among us was questions about the morality of what we do. When do you press the shutter release and when do you cease being a photographer? End quote. In 2004, Masha Hamilton wrote a novel which mentioned Kevin as well as other courageous journalists. In 2008, Alfred Yar shared Kevin Carter's story in a video installation at South London Gallery and many more projects highlighted Kevin and his work. There was also a movie made in 2010 called The Bang Bang Club, We Have to Watch It, yep. which was based off of Greg and Zhuang's book. Something worth noting that is a very fun fact for me, the actor who played Kevin, Taylor Kitsch, is from Kelowna, British Columbia. Shut the fuck up. Taylor Kitsch is from Kelowna. Shut. I know. And he's hot up. as fuck. And he's a good actor. Okay. As well as books and movies, there have also been several songs written in Kevin's honor and songs that were inspired by his life's work. Okay. There are many other remarkable and soul-shaking pictures that Kevin had taken. Unfortunately, I don't have the time to list all of them. However, I am happy that I picked four photos that are notoriously traumatizing with, yay. An, incre yay, with an incredibly disturbing backstory. These were also four photos that heavily influenced Kevin's suicide. Quote, I'm really, really sorry. The pain of life overrides the joy to the point that joy does not exist. Depressed, without money, or sorry, without phone, money for rent, money for child support, money for debts, and then money with a bunch of exclamation points. 
I am haunted by the vivid memories of killings and corpses and anger and pain, of starving or wounded children, of trigger-happy madmen, often police, of killer executioners. I have gone to join Ken if I am that lucky. And that was Kevin's suicide note. Oh. And Kev or Ken because he was killed in that friendly fire. Right? And that, friends, is my story on the incredibly talented, amazingly objective, and selfless photojournalist Kevin Carter and his tragic suicide. I do know the story. I did not know the details. Yeah. That is so fucking intense. Yeah, I've wanted to write about that for a long time. I am happy to honestly get that off my chest. Yeah. Because remember I said in the last episode, I was like, I have to tell these stories or I'll explode. Yeah. But I have to talk about these stories. I understand that you've heard about it, you've lived it, and then you're fucking researching it and mm-hmm. all this other shit that you did not know yeah. about it comes up and you're like, what in the actual fuck? Mm-hmm. And that is, I, I think, one of the hardest things about what we do. Yeah. There's a lot of stories I know. Like Starlight Tours. When yeah. I came across Lauren's work. Yes. And I just bawled my eyes out constantly while trying to write. Yes. They kept so, wondering, was that my family who was killed? Exactly. So it's when, like the iceberg picture. Sorry to interrupt you. No. It's like that iceberg picture. You see the top and then there's the picture like the ocean and all of it underneath. Yep. Yep. Anyways, go on. That's exactly what it's like. So we know that part of the yep. iceberg. Yep. But then when you research, you learn the other part of the mm-hmm. fucking iceberg. And all the dirty secrets it's and shit. It's horrible. Yep. And as much as... Yes, it's hard for us. I still think people need to hear it. Yeah, well, that's just it, right? And Kevin is a glowing example of that. Right. That no matter how horrifying it is, people need to know. Yeah. Holy fuck, dude. Yeah. I knew the story. I had zero knowledge of the details. So you knew about Kevin Carter? You knew who he was? I knew about the gang or whatever they oh the bang bang it. club that's yeah that's what it was sorry gang gang no that's okay and i knew sort of what was happening but didn't know yeah you never... knew surface stuff yeah exactly i was so fascinated with kevin carter for years there was no internet when this was happening yeah. either so yeah it was one of those stories i came across when the internet yeah existed, exactly it was like oh that's sad blah yeah and that was it. But you don't know the gritty details. No. And that's why I think it's important for us to tell these stories. Because totally. a lot of people think, oh, I know a story. Right? Yeah. And, and then they you don't. don't know. No. No. Yeah. No, you think not... you do. And you don't. You and don't. And then you hear these things. And I mean, we're we're talking about what we find. <laughs> yeah. On the internet. So there's obviously going to be other stuff we do not know. But learning about whatever is out there. And just talking about it, it sucks, dudes. I mean, as much fun as we have talking about some of the shit and researching it, it's hard. It like, is very hard. Yeah. It's emotionally taxing. It is. And draining. It is. Yeah. And that's why and we mentally. have to fucking throw comedy in there. Yes, that's exactly. To cope, we have to have comic relief. We and have both to. of us are dark humor people. Totally. Dark humor is our coping mechanism. So fuck yeah. Hopefully you get it. If you don't, bye. That's how we are. And it doesn't mean that we are making fun of anything. No, not at all. The only thing I've ever heard Diana make fun of was yeeting Judith into outer space. And that was fucking fantastic. I can still picture it. (laughs) Poor Judith! I can still picture it, and it was great. Yeet that motherfucker into outer space. Right? But again, coping mechanism, but it was fucking... It was funny. Brilliant comment. Yes, it was so fucking funny, dude. (laughs) When I listened to that episode, while I was driving, I almost had to pull off the road. I was laughing so hard. I remember you telling me that. I I could barely focus. Yes. And we need that. Yeah, like exactly. To go with all the horrible fucking details. Right? We need to have some of that. I know. Because it's the only thing that's going to get us through yeah. this. Yeah. And informing other yes. people about yep. the nitty gritty. Yeah. That no one wants to know about. Exactly. The comic relief is needed, especially for a night like tonight, too, where Diane and I both had very intense stories. Yeah. And I know I cried several times tonight. Yeah, I saw. Yeah. I saw you wiping. Yeah, this is a really intense episode. One you're... of our most intense. Yeah, you're welcome, guys. Yeah, you're welcome, right? Totally. All right. So, I think we're just going to end it. Mm-hmm. We need to go decompress. All right, guys. We are fucking done. Good night. Have a great night, guys.
So our email is myrideordiepodcast at gmail.com. Uh-huh. Instagram, myrideordiepodcast. We're not on, we never go on Twitter, so I'm not going to bother. Twitter socks. Twitter socks. Sex balls. And other stuff. Sex donkey dicks. Oh my. <laughs> oh my. Oh my. Yep. Am I missing any other social media, babe? Uh, okay. So Instagram and oh, Facebook. email. Oh, and, I, and Facebook. Yeah, Facebook yeah. is the other one. Yeah, the other one. Yeah. We use all the time. Yeah. So my ride or die podcast. Yep. On or is Facebook. it just my ride or die on Facebook? No, it's everything's my ride or die podcast. Okay. Except for fucking Twitter. Yeah, pod. My ride or die pod. My ride or die pod. Because fuck you, Twitter. Right. <laughs> Yikes. And that's that, folks. <laughs> We're hilarious. And we know it. Yeah. So good night, bitches. Good night. Bye. Bye.